Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. My guest today is Grace Gomez. She's program coordinator for American Friends Service Committee, and she runs the Reframing Justice Project. We'll be hearing about her work at the American Friends Service Committee, and also they do have an upcoming symposium on May 31st called Blurring the Boundaries, Trauma and Healing Justice. Welcome. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Talk about how you got involved in creating this symposium. What were some of the ideas that came together in setting this up? So in my role at AFSC and in the Reframing Justice Project, I work with people who have been system involved or who are currently system involved. So folks who are currently incarcerated uh, primarily. And one of the things that constantly comes up is the lack of mental health treatment for people who have been system involved, particularly around trauma, and how that leads to recidivism, basically, and challenges with actually reintegrating into communities post, post-punishment. So, you know, the criminal justice narrative is that, you know, you want to reduce recidivism and increase public safety. And yet we're finding that folks really aren't given the tools to do that because they're never given the opportunity to actually heal or deal with the things that led them into the system in the first place. How did this become apparent to you, the level of trauma, both prior to becoming system involved and during being system involved and after being system involved? How did you realize that it was such an important factor? So in Reframing Justice, it's a multimedia storytelling project. So it's working with people's narratives, what brought them into the system, how they navigated the system during their their period of, of punishment, and also what life has been like reintegrating into society. And with that, you know, you're you're hearing people's life stories. And what I found was that people were survivors of harm before they were on the other side of the walls. And that mirrors research, statistical data too. Like for women who go through the system, the vast majority, close to 80% of adult women in the system have histories of sexual and physical violence. However, once you're read as criminal by the system, you're never again seen as a survivor of harm, right? So you're not treated for those traumas ever, which then become compounded by going through the punishment system. And folks are disallowed to actually even talk about having experienced trauma. Oftentimes that's viewed as an excuse by people within the system. And so a lot of times that's just kind of shoved down. Let's listen to an excerpt from one of the Reframing Justice Project stories. Kini is one of the the first women that I interviewed about what life was like after going through the system, particularly how it impacted her role as a mother. So when we talk about the collateral consequences of a felony conviction, a lot of the time we're talking about felony disenfranchisement, so the inability to vote. Um, the inability to secure bank loans, housing, uh, depending on your, your conviction, social welfare opportunities. But what I wanted to get at were the more intimate ways a felony conviction 
impedes your life. I wanted to look at how it affected your role as a mother. Kini was one of the first women that I interviewed about this. And her story really represents many of the, th the themes uh, around women who go through the system, such as housing and food insecurity, um, mental illness, substance abuse, um, all of those things that lead people into precarity. I didn't get to raise him. I gave him to my brother because I couldn't do it. I was into drugs. I was prostitute. I lived on Buckeye Road down in a drug neighborhood for like 15 years. And he ended up in fought he ended up in the CPS because because the last time I went to jail, I was waiting for somebody to show up to come get me and when nobody did, I just walked to Buckeye Road and called my brother and said, I can't do it no more, just take him, please. I tried really hard, but the system would only give me, welfare would only give me 265 a month and a hundred and something in food stamps. There was no way I could find an apartment. I used to go and rent apartments where you move in free, mm -hmm. one month move in free, and then I'd have to move that next month. And I did that for a couple of times. Keeney served her last prison sentence at Sakrak in Tucson. And it was there that she found the programming that she needed to exit the system. One of the things that really helped her was their work release program. Um, she was able to get a job at Boston Market and eventually climbed the ranks and became a manager and all the money that she earned in that position um, was banked for her, and she was able to use it to, tr to set herself up once she was released. Um, she went into a transitional housing program after she got out of SACRAC and slowly but surely got herself back on her feet, and she eventually applied for a position at Boeing Aircraft and she was making aluminum siding on working on these hot presses for you know she was working more than 40 hours a week um, but it was a happy time in her life where everything finally came together for the first time I had a bank account I had credit cards I had license mm -hmm. I was living life normally mm -hmm. I wasn't I was going in the store buying stuff mm -hmm. Everything I had that I accomplished through drugs got stolen and stuff. Mm -hmm. What I bought from the dollar store meant something to me. If I spent a dollar on it, mm -hmm. it meant something for me because I worked hard for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed that life. Sometimes I'd walk up to my apartment, Grace, and I couldn't even believe it was mine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I walked that paper for seven, seven months and stayed clean and sober till my son got killed 12 years. Keeney's son, Dana, was incarcerated at a facility here in Tucson. And it was while he was incarcerated here in Tucson that he was attacked by multiple men in, in the showers. He was stabbed, he was beaten, and corrections officers did not intervene to provide any kind of life-saving support. They waited four hours to call paramedics 
And by the time he arrived at the hospital, he was、um, brain dead. He was placed on life support. He stayed on life support for for four days、um, until Kini made the decision to remove him from it. The only thing I hated was the officers were there at all times, and the room was so small they gave me no time, 'cause I just wanted to get in bed with him and just hold him,、right. you know, 'cause I knew he was dying,、yeah. and just talk to him,、yeah. 'cause I think I felt him touch my finger,、mm-hmm. and the officers were there and they didn't give me no peace. They didn't walk out the room or nothing. And I'd get up in the morning, I'd be like, "Hey, baby, good morning." I'm going to brush my teeth and wash my face, and I'd wash his face off, and I tell him I'm going to make a phone call and smoke a cigarette. Mommy will be back. I talked to him like that, but I really couldn't talk to him because the room was so small, and they were there 24/7. Do you know they didn't leave the hospital until after the coroners came and got him? After he was dead and gone, I, I waited for the medical examiner to come about two hours, and they still didn't leave me alone with him. I am so bitter about that. Women who go through the system are automatically categorized as bad mothers. Kini's first offense was for stealing baby food, and once you're labeled that way, there's nothing you can do to earn your way back. I could have been a better mother. If I could do it all over again, I would do it differently. With Kini's story, I would like people to think about. What justice means? What is justice? To be able to think outside the logics of punishment and revenge and fear, and possibly look at how we might deal with what are complex social、uh, problems. So the criminal punishment system is about isolation, and it's deliberately inhumane. Reframing justice really seeks to intervene in that way and honor the full. Breadth and expertise of who we are, and the solution really is our stories, is including us in the conversation. That was an excerpt from the Reframing Justice Project, put together by Grace Gomez. She's program coordinator for the American Friends Service Committee. So really, it was dealing with people's narratives. That's what kind of exposed that people are are navigating post-traumatic stress syndrome. That's really interesting to me. So it was somewhat of a learning process for you as you heard people's stories through reframing justice. Yeah, you know, my background is I have my PhD in justice studies, and my dissertation research was with women who are mothers who are formerly incarcerated. And the reason why I took up that research was because I needed to talk to people that were like me. I was having a hard time in my role as a mother, and not having a community really to to talk to, right? To to other mothers who were directly impacted about how to how to navigate your role as a mother because it's different. It's different once you've been system involved. So that's what led me to the work. Really, was trying to call together my own community of of support. Something that was not provided to me by the state, something that wasn't acknowledged really as as even a need that people might have. So it was by personal experience, really, of feeling trauma from the system, and then 
hearing that kind of echoed by people that I was working with, which was liberating, actually, to know that I wasn't alone. On May 31st, you're putting together the Blurring the Boundaries, Trauma, and Healing Justice. What is that about? You know, so the system, the criminal punishment system is adversarial, right? A lot of times it's us versus them, the defendant against the victim, right? But the system is not responsive to either party in terms of dealing with the trauma. So the trauma that a person experiences by virtue of having survived harm or the trauma that brought the person into the system in the first place, right? So the system doesn't respond to either set of those needs. I believe that without dealing with that, both sides, right, that we won't actually meet that end goal of reducing recidivism and increasing public safety. It's a cycle that will just keep replicating itself. So blurring the boundaries really is getting at that. That trauma is, gosh, trauma is universal, right? (laughs) Everybody experiences it in some way or some kind of pain, right? That's part of the human experience. And if we can sit with that complexity, I think that we could actually revolutionize the system and and create a system that actually responds to the needs of the people that it encounters. What are some of the ways that you have found to heal trauma for yourself or that others have learned? For myself personally, what has been really liberating is being able to not hide anymore. For a long time, I tried to pass. Pass as having not been system involved? (laughs) Yeah. Uh And that never worked. I mean, in in big ways and in small ways. You know, from I had a student one semester. I was teaching a class at Arizona State University, and she failed her midterm. And she was really angry. She wanted me to change her grade, and I didn't change her grade. And what she did was print out my mugshot from 13 years ago and passed it around my department and emailed it to the other students in the class. And it was horrible. It was devastating. And I didn't do anything wrong. There's no way that you can control, especially in this digital age, like you can't control information in that way. And I never want to experience that again. I would like to be in control of my own story about how I'm, I'm navigating life post-punishment. So for me, that's how I deal with trauma. And I think for folks who have participated in reframing justice, finding that empowerment and acknowledging that you are an expert by experience, I think is liberating too. And that's healing too, to say that you have something to offer in this conversation, a situated expertise that other people don't have. So for me, that's what I've found is helpful. Some people that are part of Reframing Justice have started one-on-one therapy. It's trauma-informed therapy, a very specific type of therapeutic treatment that deals with PTSD. And that's been helpful for people. So part of it is like being able to name what is directly affecting your life and having other people accept that as true. I think that helps, too. Thanks for taking the time to come today. This is a sensitive subject. It's incredibly meaningful for people who have experienced it, and 
I believe we all are going to know somebody who has experienced it if you have not yourself. However, it's also easy to just set it aside and not pay attention to it. So I'm really glad that you're here today, Grace Gomez, Program Coordinator for American Friends Service Committee. She runs the Reframing Justice Project and just sharing with us some of her work, some of her personal story, and the work that she plans to do in the future. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What are some of the successes that you've run into? Hmm. You know, there's there's one woman that, that I worked with while I was working on my dissertation. She had just started law school, and she had also just gotten out of prison. What led her into the system was opioids. It was addiction, basically. But prior to that, just the degree of trauma that this woman had navigated from the time she was a, a child to, you know, fighting tooth and nail to create a life for herself and for, for her children. She ended up becoming a nurse, but then got addicted to pain medication, which then turned into an opioid addiction. And she served three years in prison. And she got out and was accepted into law school, which is a tremendous feat in and of itself. And she just graduated this week. And when I interviewed her the first time, she was trying to pass just like I was. She was really afraid of her peers finding out that she had been incarcerated and what she had been incarcerated for. And she was so lonely. She would, you know, just go to school. She didn't have any friends at school. She would go to school, do her work, go home, take care of her kids. And, you know, she had to ride the ferry to school every day, right? In telling her story with me, she began to step out in confidence. She ended up testifying on behalf of the ACLU about the long-term effects of legal fines. She was just awarded the Skadden Fellowship, which is this very prestigious fellowship in the legal realm, and has become a very vocal advocate for people who have been system involved. That's not my personal success. That's her success. But I love seeing that. I love seeing people step into their own power. And that's happened with folks that have participated in the Reframing Justice Project. Some of those people are participating in in the panel that our conference is focused on, too. I would say that that's a a success of this work, which is not my own. I, I would say that it's collective. It's work by and for system-involved people or people who have been system-involved. Who should come to the symposium, Blurring the Boundaries? It's May 31st from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the YWCA of Southern Arizona. That is a great question. Research shows that as many as one in three people has some type of record, whether that is an arrest that didn't lead to conviction, a conviction, a misdemeanor, right? So that is, you know, vast number. Say that again. (laughs) One in three people has some type of record, whether it's an arrest that didn't lead to conviction, a misdemeanor conviction, or a felony conviction, right? So that's a, a large number. So chances are either you've been touched by the system personally, directly, because you've gone through it, or you've had a family member go through it, or your neighbor has gone through it, or a coworker that you just don't know, right? So this is an issue that affects everyone. So I think that it's a a message that needs to reach a broad audience. I would like to see people that work in the system be present at this conference. 
corrections officers, probation officers, police, um, judges, defense attorneys, prosecuting attorneys. Oh, my gosh, I would love to have those people there. Isn't that going to be traumatizing (laughs) for system-involved people? (laughs) Perhaps. But, you know, one of the things that one of my mentors told me, like, very, very early on, and basically what he was saying is that prisons create trauma. They produce trauma. They produce vulnerability. He was very clear not to say people who are incarcerated experience trauma, but everyone that goes to the system, including people that work within the system, are affected in a negative way by the system itself. There's research around divorce rates, you know, substance abuse uh, for people that work within this system, right? But yes, as a directly impacted person, it is very hard to be in the same room um, and sit at the same tables as people that work within the system. Because I feel, and I think that a lot of people feel this way, I feel less than human when I'm around them. It's a, a hierarchy that just never goes away. But I still think it's important to be at the table because if you're not there, they just, they'll decide for you. And it has very damaging consequences. So it's a lot, a lot to ask, I would say, of directly impacted people and families. But it's necessary. It's necessary, I believe. So people who work within the system, also providers, right? Therapists, families, teachers, guidance counselors. You know, the school system should really be there as well. Um, and anyone who wants to learn about the impact of mass incarceration. What do you hope the outcome would be after people attending this conference? It's another good question. I think to have a more complex analysis of, of this system, right, which again is very adversarial. People who have experienced harm are seen as, and rightly so, right, as being the only ones that have trauma, right? That's really, it's, it's an uncomfortable thing to even say, right? Because again, it goes back to this idea of personal responsibility and accountability, right? And people who have survived harm, especially violent harm, yes, absolutely, they experience trauma. But I think that the person who has harmed also experiences trauma as well. And again, if you care about reducing recidivism and increasing public safety, you have to deal with the root causes. You have to. So even though it's it's a challenging conversation, I think it needs to be had. Did I answer the question? I can't remember what the original question was. (laughs) I asked about your hopes for the outcome of this conference of all these different stakeholders (laughs) coming together. Yeah, so I think a more complex analysis of the issue. And also deep reflection on what your individual role is in increasing public safety and reducing recidivism, because this is a community issue. And we all have a part in that in creating the communities that we want to live in. It looks like you're working on this project with some great partners. (laughs) Yes. So the, the conference is sponsored by the Public Welfare Foundation, the Langloth Foundation, 
The University of Arizona is participating and helping provide resources as well. And we have some amazing speakers that will be there. Monica Casper, who's a professor at the University of Arizona and an expert in complex trauma, will be giving a situating kind of conversation, providing context for the rest of the day. Our keynote speaker is Glenn Martin. He's the executive director of Just Leadership USA. He, along with other partners, are leading a campaign to close Rikers Island, specifically for children who are incarcerated on Rikers, Rikers right now. Glenn is also formerly incarcerated. And the gains that he has been able to secure around this campaign are impressive. But one of the other really powerful things that he does is situate formerly incarcerated people to be leaders in this conversation around mass incarceration, which I think is really important because oftentimes it's the wrong people that are leading the conversation, right? And again, what ends up happening is that the system just reproduces itself. So he's going to be incredible, I know. That's Glenn Martin from Just Leadership USA. And the third keynote speaker is Shannon Shell who's with the Arizona Coalition to End Sexual and Domestic Violence. And she's going to be giving a synthesis of the conversations that are had throughout the day, really to blur the line between victim and offender, that oftentimes we're talking about the same population when we say that. So your choice in the title, Blurring the Boundaries, was very intentional. Yes. Yes. I think that we need to stop putting things in boxes, particularly around this issue. I'd like to tell people where you can register for this conference. So if you go to www.afscarizona.org, there's a link on our main page for the Blurring the Boundaries conference, and you can click through there and register. If you are unable to pay the registration fee, we do have scholarships available. You can email myself, Grace Gomez, at ggamez at afsc.org if you are in need of a scholarship. We're trying to reserve those scholarships for people who are directly impacted and their families. But if you have financial hardship and you need help, we can provide that to you. After you have this conference on May 31st, Blurring the Boundaries, Trauma, and Healing Justice, do you have some ideas about what next steps for you might be? For AFSC, you know, every every session we run, every legislative session, we run sentencing reform bills. We ran four bills this session on that dealt with collateral consequences of felony conviction. Two of those passed. Um, one was on provisional licensing, and the other was on a move the box or ban the box. We're hopeful that we'll have more partners in that work, that people will, you know, back some of those legislative policies that we're trying to push forward. If family members and directly impacted people want to get involved in the Reframing Justice Project, I would love to work with you. 
Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. My guest today has been Grace Gomez, Program Coordinator for the American Friends Service Committee. She runs the Reframing Justice Project. You can find out about all of her work and AFSC's work at afscarizona.org. Thanks again for listening. I'm Amanda Shocker.